0: Holistic Health Masterclass podcast. This is your host Brett Hawes and we are back with another episode. Um, You will have noticed that the schedule has been completely derailed uh, so we'll have to uh, thank coronavirus for that. Um, Yeah (laughs) and summer. So uh, just a couple of announcements really just just one actually before I hop into today's show and uh, I'm Really, really happy to say that my upcoming digestive health practitioner masterclass uh, has officially been adopted with the Institute of Holistic Nutrition. So, we are ironing out the details of that partnership uh, right now, and uh, we will be launching hopefully in the next probably two weeks, uh, maybe three weeks at the most. Uh, we will get that course going. Uh, really excited, I've had over 120 uh, practitioners from all different Um, types of practices, uh, go through that program. And uh, the feedback and the reviews have been absolutely amazing. So I can't wait to do this as a live four week online program. And I'll have all of the details coming up in the very near future. So please stay tuned uh, to this channel. Um, Also stay tuned to Facebook. And if you're not part of the Facebook group yet, um, please consider joining that Um, we've you know, we're growing, growing slowly. And Uh, it has been a little bit quiet um, just because it's summertime and I think people are getting out and about a little more and uh, maybe unplugging from social media, which is uh, much needed at this time. Uh, But anyway, uh, more to come on that. So let's hop into today's um, podcast. Today's podcast, I actually have some amazing guests uh, who are truly veterans in the field of medicine. Uh, My guests today are Dr. Sears, so Dr. Bill Sears, and Dr. Vincent Fortanesque. Uh, Many of you might know uh, Dr. Bill uh, from the website AskDrSears.com. Uh, if you are tuning in from the U.S., uh, you will definitely know who Dr. Sears is. Um, he has been advising parents on how to raise healthier families for over 40 years, and together with his wife Martha, has written over 40 books and countless articles on parenting, nutrition, and healthy aging. Uh, he is a consultant for TV, magazines, and a host of other media outlets. Uh, you can check out his website at AskDrSears.com and Dr. Dr. Vincent Fortunesc is one of the best medical specialists in North America. He's actually a world-renowned neurologist. He's been in practice for over 40 years and has helped thousands of people in the field of neurology and rehabilitation. Uh, he too has appeared as a medical expert on different shows such as 60 Minutes, The Today Show, Dr. Phil, Dateline, CNN, and a host of others. So we are truly in... Uh, extremely good company for today's podcast and just to give you the thousand foot overview um, you know of what we talk about today uh, we really talk about brain health and everything to do around brain health so we spend a good bit of time talking about things like the aging brain all right so uh, dementia parkinson's um, alzheimer's and so forth and we also spend a good chunk of time talking about children's brain health and some interesting connections between things like ADD, ADHD, and really how that ties into the aging brain and what that means for later on in life. So uh, we get a lot of you know amazing tidbits here uh, talking about um, what signs to look out for. All right, Um, particularly as we get older, you know, so warning signs to show that our cognition and uh, brain health is actually declining. We talk uh, about tons of different tools um, that sort of traverse between uh, lifestyle supplements and food and how you can really support both your children's brain health as well as your own. And all of this, of course, is wrapped up into a neat, digestible, uh, very well-researched book, called The Healthy Brain, okay? And so uh, these fine doctors have uh, basically pulled their combined over 80 years of medical practice and experience into this handy book called The Healthy Brain uh, with a real emphasis on not just understanding how brain health works and how our brain works and the impact of that, but actually providing you with actionable tools that you can use in your everyday life. I will say that one thing I gleaned from this conversation Conversation, I, I thought it was such a refreshing conversation to have with medical doctors who are really championing holistic health, nutrition and so forth right very refreshing especially you know as people get older especially you know we get in our fields and our respective fields it's very easy to stay stuck in that field and not move out so I had a great time talking with uh, Vincent and with uh, Dr. Sears Uh, so yeah I hope that you enjoy today's podcast episode please check out the show notes for all of the relevant links and as always if you enjoy today's show uh, please consider subscribing leaving us a review view and of course sharing this with your friends family and community so here we are today talking about the healthy brain and please welcome our guests dr bill sears and dr vincent fortinesque All right. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for stopping in today and sharing your years and years and years of knowledge. Um, I am very, very excited to get into today's um, episode uh, because I know that it's such a hot topic for so many people, whether they're young or old, and I'm sure we'll get into some of these topics uh, as we get into the show. But perhaps, um, Bill, we can start with you. Um, you know, I don't know where you want to pick it up, but just maybe a potted bio of who you are, um, where you sort of come from and how you got to where you are today.
1: Uh, well, my main claim to frame, uh, Brett, is I did my uh, pediatric training in Toronto at yes. Children's Hospital there, the largest children's hospital in the world. So uh, I want to thank you, Canadians, for uh, giving me a good education.
0: Yeah, wonderful and, facility. Uh, Wonderful facility, yeah. (laughs)
1: Been in uh, medical practice for 50 years, uh, eight children. And uh, Vince and I, uh, Vince, we met each other years ago. And Vince is our godfather to two of our children. Yes, a real Italian godfather. And we're uh, pleased to to co-author our Healthy Brain book together.
0: Amazing. And uh, Vince, y- yourself, what's your background and, um, you know, what, what brings you into the fold?
2: Well, uh, you know, I'm a uh, neurologist. I trained at uh, USC and at Yale. And, um, you know, I've always been interested in, um, you know, the aging of the brain. And, you know, I had a mother who uh, lived to 105 and didn't uh, really have memory difficulties in 104. My father had difficulties when he turned 70. And that really turned myself towards uh, Alzheimer's. And when I first started practice, I had maybe one patient a month come in with uh, difficulties with memory. By 1999, 2000, I was saying that I was seeing about eight patients a week, new patients a week with uh, memory difficulties. So it was very, very clear to me that there was a, phenomenon occurring in the United States and in the uh, first world countries, especially uh, with memory. And Mm. uh, the question was, is why was this happening? And more important is what can we do about it? And that's what this book is all about, is, Mm. you know, why is it occurring and what you can do today in order to prevent it? Because it is completely preventable.
0: Well, I think that's. I mean, obvious, obviously, extremely good for people to know, um, you know, because we want, we don't want to leave people hanging by the end of the show. So I know we're going to get into some actionable items and tools that people can really use at home. But you know, coming back to something you were saying, do you feel that in addition to um, Alzheimer's, do we feel that there's other brain conditions that are also on the rise as well? So things like dementia, Parkinson's, um, stuff like that.
2: Yes definitely. Uh well you know dementia of course is memory loss. Yeah. it uh, comes from the the Italian I uh, should say the uh Latin word dementis, you know, uh means out of one's mind. And uh you know this is you know definitely where the uh, you know the word dementia comes from. And uh, so you know the the whole fact of losing one's memory and dementia you know really are synonymous. And uh, about 90% of all memory loss Is secondary to uh, to dementia from a chronic uh, process, rather than you know having uh, multiple strokes or having head injury. uh, They only uh, add up into less than ten percent of the people who have really memory loss.
0: Wow, and yeah, I mean you know so I think it's important for people to realize that if we're talking about something that is chronic. Um, degenerative. Uh, obviously, this is a, uh, something that takes a long time to progress and is not, you know, it doesn't just happen overnight. And uh, of course, conversely, then it means that you can reverse or at least prevent it from, from happening, which is, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and that was this, the reason for writing this book
2: was for, to help people understand that number one, they can do something, number two, they should start recognizing the signs uh, that they're having memory difficulties. And third, that they should start instilling the treatment for those uh, memory difficulties. And uh, also recognizing uh, this, what the book does, it helps people recognize what are the signs and that they could see in themselves, but especially maybe in their parents or in their brothers or sisters or, fr- or close friends, so that they can intervene and say, hey, um, you know, something has to be done. And not only that, but you don't always tell the person who's having memory loss that they're having memory loss. What you really want to do is tell their family and get the entire family involved. And in fact, most of the patients that I see in my office, they're brought in and the patient themselves will sit there and I'll ask them, why are you there? And they'll say, uh, I don't know. Uh, my uh, My daughter and my son brought me here. And that right away tells me what the diagnosis is. The family recognizes it and I want families to recognize that if they see a problem, that they have to do something right away. Because uh, I have seen that people who come in with early dementia, 80 to 90% of them, we can reverse it and stop it. However, those who come in very late and have major difficulties, and we do a little mental status examination that's based on 10 points. And those individuals who have, you know, um, eight out of 10 loss, really, we don't do too much for. But if you could bring them in, and they're only losing five out of 10, or even six or seven out of 10, we can do a great deal uh, in helping those individuals, bringing them back, stopping it in its tracks, and giving them the type of life that they want. In fact, Time magazine said that the number one fear in the United States for people is losing one's mind. The number one problem. People fear. And, you know, we have to address that and nothing is really being done to address it. And that's the reason why we wrote the book. The book, it not only tells you when you're having problems, but most important, it tells you what to do.
0: So, so, I mean, on that note, and, and I want to come back to you in a minute, Bill, because I do want to talk about children. I, I know that learning, um, learning issues, ADD and all that stuff, you know, I want to get to that in a second. But since we're on the topic, what are some of the key signs that, that people should be looking out for, Vince, with regards to um, sort of erosion of memory or loss of memory?
2: Well, I think that, you know, what uh, most people will see is that uh, the individual who's involved will start telling you the same story. So And they'll tell it to you as if they've never told it to you before. Second is that they'll start uh, uh, repeating themselves in the sense of that they've just called you, and then they call you back an hour later, and they speak to you as if they hadn't spoken to you before. Hmm. Uh, the next thing that they uh, start doing is um, forgetting uh, people's names. Uh, they'll forget your children's name. They'll even forget your name and misidentify you. Uh, third is that what they'll start doing is uh, forgetting what is going on in the news. Uh, in fact, they will uh, um, forget at an event, for instance, like what we're going through right now uh, mm-hmm. with, the, uh, uh, with the disease that is affecting everyone and keeping them at home. Uh, they'll be the ones that'll be walking outside. Uh, they'll be the ones you know, going to shake people's hands. When you know it's a, it's of uh, obvious importance that we keep our distances. So mm-hmm. you know the major difficulties those of recent memory problems.
0: Okay, and then so let's let's um, get into the other side of it, Bill, and let's talk about children a little bit more. And I mean, obviously, it's not just children, but uh, learning issues, uh, ADD, attention deficit issues. Um, perhaps you can get into that a little bit.
1: Uh, yes, Brett. In fact, I'll tell you a shocking statement. Vince and I were playing golf about a year ago or so, together, and I asked Vince, I said, Vince, when does Alzheimer's begin? And he said, Bill, Alzheimer's begins in adolescence. I said, adolescence? Wow. See, you don't, uh, as Vince was saying, you don't all of a sudden start losing your mind. It begins early on, and this is why one of the big concepts that we mentioned in that book, is the concept of pre-loading your brain. So let's say you're in the 20 to 40 age group, and you have relatives or friends who are starting to lose their mind. And you're going to think, okay, I don't want to wait until I'm 50 or 60 to make changes. Although the brain can change, it's been said at any age, the earlier you start, the better. And we call that in our book, preloading your brain. And that simply means you have this five-step healthy brain plan that helps you grow a healthy brain in those early years and prevent the accumulation of what we call sticky stuff throughout the brain, you know, amyloid and all the other stuff, throughout the brain, so you start prevention early. And then you mention the Ds. You know, and, and my, um, Most of my day is full of Ds, we call it, ADD, ADHD, OCD, BPD, the big D, depression, and then Vince has the AD, uh, AD in his patients, Alzheimer's disease. So we have an epidemic of Ds. But the the, the good news is, that the the preventive plan for the brain, which we'll talk about, is really similar at all ages. And the earlier you start, the better. But that's that's our our passion, is to to give parents early on, give young adults, give every age, that's why our book is uh, For All Ages, a plan. Here's a plan, and the earlier you start, the better you feel.
0: So, so do you feel then that is there a connection between things like ADD, ADHD, and so on, and then progressing into Alzheimer's disease? Or uh, yes,
1: yes, there is, and and uh, we we lump them all in. We call, we call them quirky kids, quirky <laughs> kids. Now uh, that doesn't. But you have to be very careful about the diagnosis. I'm sure Vince will agree. The diagnosis of ADAD, ADD, ADHD, because I see most of the time. I'll just tell you about a patient I saw last, uh, a couple weeks ago. Mom comes in and says, oh, welcome to the office. What brings you here? Well, the school thinks that Johnny has ADD. I said, OK. Well, uh, tell me what Johnny had for breakfast. Well, you know, the usual uh, Pop-Tarts and the usual junk food. Uh, what do you have for lunch? Well, the school lunches. What do you have for snack? Well, doesn't really have one. And so what, what do you all eat for dinner? And after a while, I, first of all, I said, Johnny doesn't have ADD. He has NDD. NDD. And mom looks at me, what's that? Nutritional deficit disorder. So many of the kids who I see with this uh, misdiagnosis of the ADD and ADHD, you clean up their nutrition and they are better. And another NDD, right? another NDD is nature deficit disorder. Mom said, our mom said for boredom and bad behavior, go outside and play. Today's kids, they sit too much indoors behind artificial screens instead of running outdoors in natural sunlight. And our brain is programmed. It's programmed. It's like when you go outside, the brain says, oh, I feel because it's a along. So NDD, nutrition deficit disorder, NDD, nature deficit disorder. Those are
0: very too simple changes for the disease. Uh, I, I think that this is, you know, you're definitely talking my language now as a clinical nutritionist. And I'm really glad that you're actually saying some of this because... You know, I've posted on social media and I've spoken about these things uh, fairly extensively over the years, and I've actually received quite a lot of backlash. You know, people saying that ADD is not related to nutrition. You know, I know that there was research dating back to, I think, the 30s and 40s on things like food dyes and hyperactivity. So, you know, I'm really glad to hear you as a seasoned physician who, you know, who specializes in this saying, and highlighting the importance of nutrition. And of course, um, artificial screens is just so huge. You know, one of the questions I had for you today was, do you think that our environment that we've created around us is actually an ADD environment?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, and I call it sprayed in America. Sprayed in America. We call it neurotoxins. There's actually a name actually a name for all that stuff you spray on on plants. It's a neurotoxin sprayed in America. So yes, but I, I really feel that that we we've got to clean up the pesticide issue.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I've actually spoken about fairly at length on the show as well is, is you know, having um, specialists, if you will, uh, people like Dr. Stephanie Seneff, um, investigative reporters. I've done a lot of, of work on Roundup and, and glyphosate, which is just, just wreaking havoc, not just on our brains, but also, I mean, let's just sort of segue into the next uh, topic here, is making or wreaking havoc on our microbiome and our gut, and I know that's something that is just so front and center these days is the gut-brain connection. So I don't know who wants to field that or where you want to start, but maybe we can uh, get into that for our listeners.
1: Oh, the, the, gut, the, gut, the second brain, the gut-brain, in fact, uh, that's one of um, my favorite chapters in our book. The, uh, we call it the mind-microbe connection. And if, if our listeners can follow me, and I'm going to give you the pediatric version, and Vince will chime in with it. <laughs> but basically, picture the head brain. The head brain sending biochemical text messages from the head brain down the middle of the body through the vagus nerve, the superhighway of the body, the vagus nerve in the body. And the vagus nerve fans out throughout the gut into the gut brain. The gut brain, neurologically, is called the second brain. And so the gut brain and the head brain text each other, biochemically text one another through neurochemicals all day long. And in the gut brain, you have what's called the microbiome. Microbiome is the community of bacteria, the community of gut bugs that live in the lining of your gut and in return for free food and a warm place to live, they do good things for you. They're like a pharmacy inside. They make brain nourishing hormones. They make brain food. And one of the favorite is called butyrate. Butyrate is, is like a, a favorite food for the brain, like a miracle growth for the brain. It's a brain growth fertilizer. So it's like take care of the head brain uh, you take care of the gut brain and the gut brain takes care of the head brain and, and that's why they, you get uh, we call it good gut feelings uh, when you're stressed out in the head brain you get bad gut feelings so the gut says hey you up there don't stress me out and so yes this is, this is a, 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 your feet it's sort of like you're eating for two you're eating for the head brain and you're eating for your gut brain
0: so, so do you feel then, Vince, um, you know, obviously, I've also, you know, looked a lot at the vagus nerve, and I think people are starting to understand the vagus nerve a little bit more. But, you know, being, a, um, being someone who's more focused on neurology, do you see damage to that vagus nerve? Is there a, a way that we can assess that or, or figure that out?
2: Well, no, I, I think that rather than uh, looking at it growing and not growing, It's its effect on the brain. The vagus nerve is really a rest and relaxation Mm. uh, nerve. And when that's being very active, it sends messages up to the brain. And then the frontal temporal lobe of the brain is where uh, you have this area that if it grows, it makes you feel calm, makes you feel relaxed. In the other sense, if it's your adrenergic brain that is being uh, affected, it affects the amygdala. It's an area of the brain for excitement, uh, for agitation, for anxiety. And so what we're trying to do is do those things that are going to accentuate the area of the vagus nerve where it will calm you down. In fact, one of the most simple ways is taking a deep breath, holding it for five to six seconds, and letting it out over about a nine-second period, and doing that consecutively three times. You don't want to do it too many times because otherwise you'll hyperventilate (laughs) But three times. And that'll bring you immediate that immediately turns off the uh, sympathetic system and turns on the vagus system or the relaxation system. And that's one of the reasons why simple techniques like breathing techniques can make all the difference in the world to people who are anxious.
0: Mm. I I mean, that's simple. I think that this is why we're starting to see mindfulness practices, you know, meditation, breathing oh, exactly. exercises. These are all coming to the forefront now because you know, the world around us, especially right now, uh, people are very, very stressed out for a number of different reasons. And I think a lot of people don't piece that together, you know, the, the connection between stress and how it impacts our digestion and our gut health. And then from there, you know, how gut health in turn impacts our brain health and our mood. Exactly. And, and, and unfortunately, what I see anyway, I'm sure you see it more than I do, is, is people are taking things like antidepressants, um, you know, other types of medication to help with their mood and their brain health, when in actual fact, the origins are stress and gut health for many people.
2: Uh, what I talk about is the DEER program. And uh, in that, it's a very simple... Um, mnemonic deer standing from diet, then E for exercise, A for accentuating the brain's reserve, or what we call neurobics—that is, you know, uh, exercises for the uh, brain—and the R stands for rest and recovery, or stress reduction. Hmm. And um, and using that mnemonic, you are able to look at your life each day and say, Hey, what is my diet? What exercises have I done uh, with my body? What exercises have I actually done to increase my uh, cerebral or uh, cognitive abilities? And then, of course, very important is how how have I relaxed? Um, how, How have I slept? And sleeping is probably one of the most important points for people to look at. You know, are they getting restful sleep? There's so many um, uh, devices we have, watches that you can buy mm-hmm. that will tell you how much sleep and what type of sleep you get. And if one gets enough sleep, you know, or I should say the correct amount of sleep, one builds all the dopamine, which is your, um, your rest and relaxation hormone, and decreases markedly your stress hormones like Cortisol. And cortisol goes to the lowest level during uh, sleep. And one of the things I tell people is that one of the major uh, diseases we have in the United States now is obstructive sleep apnea. And if you have a partner who snores, the chances are 80% that they have obstructive sleep apnea. That means during sleep, rather than them relaxing, they're constantly gasping for breath. And their cortisol levels are extremely high. (laughs) These people become anxious. They become angry. They become uh, just the type of person you don't want to live with. And many people believe that, you know, gee, as I turn 40 or 50, you know, my nice husband or my nice wife all of a sudden became this angry, irritable individual. It, It isn't that they became angry and irritable. It's that their sleep has been changed. And just by changing their sleep patterns, by correcting this obstructive sleep apnea, um, you completely change their longevity, and you completely change the ability to have a happy marriage, hmm. and for that person to be happy. It's, uh, and I would say that if there was anything uh, the listeners would bring home, is to find out, do you snore, or does the one you love snore? And if you do, please make sure you go see a sleep specialist. Not just your regular doctor, because he's not going to know what to do, Uh, most often, I should say. You want to see a sleep specialist, a doctor who specializes in sleep disorders.
1: I'm so happy you brought up sleep, because uh, we actually, that's one of our largest chapters in our book. We call it Sleep Smart. And we open by saying, you hold the five keys to your brain health in the palm of your hand. Eat smart, move smart, think smart, sleep smart, and serve smart. So in, the, uh, in we take the reader on a trip through their brain while they're sleeping. <laughs> so follow me closely. It's fascinating what goes on during sleep. And during sleep, imagine you're entering your sleep sanctuary, your bedroom. You're falling to, off the sleep and you're actually entering a detox program. You're entering your own personal detox program. So when you sleep, two things happen. You have a bunch of housekeepers called glia cells up there, trillions of little housekeepers, and they go through the brain, and they clean up the garbage of the day. And then the rivers of your brain, the, the called the lymphatic system. The fluid channels throughout your brain, they actually widen while we sleep. And it's called the glymphatic system. And the, the glia cells dump the garbage of the day, the toxic thoughts, the toxins that accumulated into the rivers of the brain, and then it goes into the lymphatic system and you excrete it. So just imagine, when you sleep well, you are detoxing. So the, some of your best brain health occurs at night, and that's why sometimes you go to bed with a problem, and you can't solve it, but you wake up with the solution because your brain has had a chance to process all that overnight, to file the good thoughts you want to keep, file the information, and then you wake up with a solution. So sleep smart.
2: Yeah, and important uh, in this, uh, uh, what you were saying, Bill, is for people to see if they remember their dreams. If you are not remembering your dreams, probably you are not sleeping correctly. And that is you're never getting into what we call REM sleep, rapid eye movement. Uh, And it is during that time that one is dreaming. And the dreams actually do solve the problems that you have. Uh, subconsciously, and that's the reason why people say, hey, sleep on it, and
1: Mm -hmm. that's really the (laughs) truth, (laughs) because by sleeping on
2: it, you actually wake up with the correct answer. However, if you're not waking up with the correct answer, if you're not waking up that you feel rested in the morning, if you're not waking up and saying, hey, I remember that dream I had. Uh, In fact, I just told my wife about a dream I had, which had to do something with, with something we saw on television last night, that had something to do with our relationship and it was amazing that my mm-hmm. wife had been thinking about the exact same problem you know, especially now that we're all caged up and really have to talk to one another
0: yeah <laughs> well you, you know just just to pull all of that together i think um you know one message that i keep getting hearing both of you talk about this is how burned out everyone is you, you know we're just so overstimulated we're so wired there's so much going on. You know, we've got information flying at us 24-7 from all channels. You know, do, you, do you feel like a lot of this... Because I know sleep is such a hot topic these days, you know, especially in my world as well. People are looking for tools to help them sleep better. Um, but you know, what I'm hearing is perhaps this overstimulation is really driving a lot of these brain health issues. Is that, is that, is that a fair thing to say?
1: Correct. And Brett, and, uh, you mentioned the magic word tools tools now, our goal in writing the healthy brain book is to give everyone their personal brain health toolbox that you carry around exactly and, and the the uh, you mentioned the medication and and pills all right now our philosophy is skills and pills skills before pills Sometimes you have skills and pills, sometimes skills only, but you never have pills only. That is the worst thing you can do for your brain. Well, I'll just take this. No, it's take this and do this. And what we, what we give is, is the tools in the book, do this. pills and skills are skills before pills. And that, that overload you mentioned, for example, just one of these tools. The, the way people begin the day. If your brain could, could prompt you to say, if, if you, I'm going to be on overload all day. So at least start me out in the right way. So meditation for the first, say, f- even five or 10 minutes as you start the day. And we call it, we have a, a, a whole section called the attitude of gratitude. The grateful brain, it's called in neurology, Vince Kun is it's actually called the grateful brain, where they've taken people, meditators, people who just get out and think about all the things I am grateful for, and they wire them up. And your calming center, your feel good center of your brain lights up, and your feel bad, your stress center uh, dials down. That's a wonderful way to start the day. And, and so I, I do that even in kids, if parents are listening. Uh, we are, I'm starting to teach meditation techniques to seven-year-olds in my office.
0: Awesome. And
1: what we do, we call it the I am. So I have parents lie down with their children and say, think of five things that you, that you are just, you feel so good about. I am smart. I am pretty. I am a good soccer player. I am, I, they wake up in the morning, they repeat that. That that grateful brain calms the brain. As Vince mentioned, we are brains out of balance. That's that's mental unwellness in a nutshell, an imbalanced brain. When you calm yourself by frequent mini-meditations throughout the day, you are balancing your brain.
0: Mm. Vince do you have anything to add on that and, and then I want to come back to um, medications because I know a lot of people as you said are popping pills and I know that some of these medications might be beneficial some might suppress um, brain health so we can circle back to that but Vince if, if you had anything to add
2: what I would say is that you know the amount of medication according to the Academy of Neurology uh, used for sleep and for relaxation has increased 1,500% uh, 1, uh, since 1990. Wow. And that is an incredible amount. What it really means is that people pop pills before they even think about what they can do uh, physically or mentally about their, uh, their problems, their anxiety. And so we've come to become a nation of uh, let's take pills first and forget about the skills. And that's one of the reasons why a book like this is so important, because it gives you the concrete way of approaching a problem and solving it by yourself without pills. And, you know, watching your diet, watching your exercise, knowing what exercise to do, how long it should be done, what types of exercise can you do in your own home or outside with your, your partner? Um, so you know the, these are the type of skills that we try to enlist in this book, so that it's very, very simple for individuals, and time they have a problem, they just have to return take, take a look at the book in the back there's a summary of everything that you need
0: if If, if I can just um, add one thing or, or perhaps get your insight on this, you know fifteen hundred percent is a pretty significant amount over the span of thirty years mm-hmm. um thirty twenty years sorry twenty years and no, 30 years. What am I talking about? But, but yeah, 30 years, why, yeah. why do you feel, I mean, is this, is this just people looking for a quick fix? Or do you feel that there's perhaps over-prescription from doctors? Or why, why do we think people are just popping more pills than ever before? Well, I, I think it's both. Uh, number one is that uh, people feel
2: uh, that they, people have learned that medicine knows everything. And so therefore, it's much easier to pop a pill than to try to solve a problem. And so that it's much easier to um, give me something to fall asleep rather than taking a half hour to an hour before going to bed and uh, doing something pleasant, listening to music, reading something that's uh, amusing for oneself rather than listening to the news and then falling asleep and uh, listening to all the tragedies that have happened in the world and to recognize that they are creating their own hell. They are creating their own misery. And just as we create a misery, we can also ameliorate a misery. We can prevent it. And we can do things that will keep us calm, keep us relaxed, and have a a night's sleep that is meaningful. And once again, I I keep on saying, please, if you do not have dreams, the the problem is, is that you probably have obstructive sleep apnea especially if you've gained a little bit of weight. Um, And as I said, the over 25% of males who are over 40 years of age have obstructive sleep apnea. It'll cause dementia. It'll cause four times the amount of cancers. It'll cause six times the amount of kidney problems and hypertension. And so there are numerous diseases which have been linked clearly with it. And this is just not hearsay. These are things that are in the American Medical Association's uh, guidelines for preventing heart disease, hypertension, and dementia.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh,
1: and yep. and another, uh, another reason to add to that, Vince, that uh, pills are so widely prescribed is the doctor simply does not have the time. And oh, exactly. The term, exactly. The term doctor... Term doctor in Latin means teacher, not prescriber. See, so this is why, like yourself, that um, people need to see a naturopath. It's to do, doctor, what can I take? All right, they go to the MD. But what the, the take doesn't take much time, but doctor, what can I do?
2: Yeah, a lot of people do, Bill. What they'll do is that uh, when they come home, the parents or the uh, husband or whatever have you will ask them, well, what medication did he give you? And in <laughs> fact, if you yes. don't give a person a medication, uh, the oh. doctor hasn't done his job.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
2: And so this is one of the reasons why I will say uh, take certain vitamins, uh, take juice plus. Uh, and so that they actually do go home uh, with taking something which is uh, naturally good for them. You know, why like Juice plus?
0: Yeah. So, so, so let, 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 let's get into that a little bit. What are your, I mean, you're talking vitamins, minerals, you know, that's my, that's my wheelhouse. Um, what do you think, uh, like your take on things like nootropics or herbs or vitamins and minerals? Maybe if we could share maybe your top five with our listeners. Uh, so, so something they can do right, right away.
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, the, the, um, uh, in fact, we have we have a, a whole section called the smart use of supplements, because Vince will testify on this too. That you know, parents come in with their bag of supplements, mm-hmm. and they go in the top end, they come out the bottom end, and they don't do any good because there's no science behind them. So first of all, I said, "Show me the science." So what would be the top? Uh, and and show me the science and show it makes sense. So what would you think would be the top nutritional supplement for the brain? Well, the brain is mostly fat. And the the smartest fat is omega-3. So therefore, the smartest supplement for the brain would be an omega-3, either a fish oil source or an algae source. But your number one supplement that's supported by the most science for the brain is omega-3 fats, because we call it the fat head. The Brain is mostly <laughs> fat, therefore I need the smart fat. See, a, a good supplement needs to make sense. Now yeah. the next thing about the brain, you know, what is it about the fat? Fat oxidizes, fat turns rancid. So I never left a piece of fresh fish out overnight, and it smells in the morning, that's medically speaking, it oxidizes, it turns rancid. Therefore, the next supplement that, that we need is antioxidants, antioxidant. And what is your best source, your best four sources of antioxidants, fruits, veggies, berries and omega? Antioxidants. So you need a supplement that is supported by science. That has high doses of antioxidants in it. That's the second one. And then to my favorite juice plus, which you can actually get up and count. Uh, thirdly, vitamin D. Vitamin D, nature's antioxidant. We are sunlight deprived. So vitamin D has good sense. I call it D. Eat more D, get less dementia. Dementia. <laughs> okay. so, so, uh, that, so that's my, my uh, uh, And then another Good one is uh, astaxanthin Why hmm. is salmon Pink Yeah. What gives salmons a pink color Is nature's most powerful Antioxidant Called astaxanthin And for those of you do not who do not like Fish or eat fish or are a vegan Then you should go You should take astaxanthin uh, Hawaiian astaxanthin is is great. Uh, it's the best, they make the best. They they farm and out of a, of a seafood source, a uh, Hawaiian astaxanthin. So you've got an omega number one, a a fruit and vegetable supplement number two, vitamin number three, and a Hawaiian astaxanthin number four, and then other Since you may. Uh, I've experienced with too, like vitamin B12, B6, uh, many of those things. Folate, folate, good. Yeah. I'm glad you yeah. met. Folate's are really important.
2: Yeah, uh, and also what you were talking about, Bill, is very important Is for people to know the difference between Atlantic uh, and a fresh salmon and wild salmon. Uh, the uh, salmon that is farmed is full of um, uh, omegas that you don't want, it is the fresh salmon that really has the omegas that you do want. So
1: when you go to the store, buy the wild salmon, not uh, the farm salmon. And, and that's what's so good about Alaskan salmon. Alaskan, by law, is, is, is wild. And, and what's, uh, what's interesting, uh, in fact, one of my favorite pages, Vince, in our, in our Healthy Brain book is we have the nutrient profile of a fillet of wild king and wild sockeye salmon. On the next page, we have the nutrient profile of the brain. And it just so happens that the top nutrients in a fillet of salmon, the fillet of wild salmon, as you mentioned, the top 11 nutrients in a fillet of wild salmon happen to match the top 11 nutrients that are in the brain. So go fish.
0: Well wow. Wow. that's right. Yeah. And I mean obviously being up here in Canada we we have a, a, an abundance of cold water fish which uh, all tend to be quite rich in omega-3s uh you know so so we we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're blessed up here uh with that. Um so Vince you, you mentioned um briefly anyway things like vitamin B12 B6 folate uh you know perhaps I don't know I mean B12 especially for at least from my standpoint, anyway, as a nutritionist, uh, I would really look at that for um, elderly patients. But it's good for everyone. It really is very good for everyone, and uh, making sure that you're taking the the,
2: the correct type of the B12 and uh, making sure that it has uh, B6 in it, B8, uh, B9, and um, that you know that you're taking a a, a, a multivitamin, uh, not just uh, the, you
0: know just one type. Right, 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 right. Um, so I think, um, I'm just looking at my notes here. I think that is a pretty good rounded discussion. Um, I do want, I got two, two questions, um, sort of rapid fire here and perhaps a little bit off context, uh, out of context. Uh, thoughts on alcohol and coping mechanisms with regards to brain health?
1: Oh, al- alcohol. We, we, in fact, uh, one of our largest sections in our book is called Drink Smart. Drink Smart. And, and one of the worst things you can do is drink on an empty stomach. So we say, we say sip slowly with a meal. If you must drink, sip slowly with a meal. That's our, our top tip.
0: And is, is that just because of the rapid absorption? I mean, alcohol has an extremely high glycemic index. and uh, it just Absolutely. Literally... And the reason
1: that happens, Brett, is uh, the alcohol, when you chug, say, happy hour, when you mm. go to a, a big vodka or something like that, or gin, it actually dissolves the mucous layer of the stomach. And so it's absorbed quickly, it, it, it dissolves the barrier, so it gets into your bloodstream, uh, It damages the line of your stomach and gets into your bloodstream too fast so drink slowly if you need, and, and another thing the science you may read that people who actually drink so much wine and all that actually have less dementia and all that that's faulty science and okay it simply, we, yeah if okay. you don't if you don't drink there's no reason to start
0: Mm. <laughs> I think pe- people use that as a very convenient excuse, you know, the French <laughs> paradox, right? So I'll just eat my oh, white yeah. baguette and drink a bottle of wine every night and that should do the I, trick. I'm, and, I,
1: I, I'm guilty. I love my glass of wine a couple of times a week.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I mean, I, I'm of the philosophy that I think people should just enjoy themselves and, you know, it's the 80-20 rule, right? So if you can do 80% of the time, what's really, really good for you and also live a little bit in the 20%, um, you know? That, that, yeah, and you have
2: to understand you know, the difference between wanting a drink and that is, you know, having a drink and uh, being addicted to drinking and addicted to drinking means that, hey, you know, you really do have to have that drink. And in fact, you're thinking about it all day. And in fact, you can't wait until you get home or whenever or lunchtime when you're going to have a drink. And if you are having a drink at lunchtime, uh, you're probably in trouble. If you're having it on a regular basis, um, and uh, with that, uh, you know, drinking brings up a lot of problems, you know, socially, because it, it decreases your ability to uh, hear other people, listen to other people, and uh, uh, get uh, the nonverbal signs, which are so important in our communication. Uh, that's one of the reasons why what's what's happening with a lot of the children who are interneting everything. They're losing their ability to communicate uh, because they do not see the nonverbal communication that's occurring on the other side of the line. And there's been uh, several uh, articles written about this, about how children are not able to really communicate vis-a-vis anymore because they do not, they're not able to pick up the usual uh, you know, frowning or you know, a pulling back. Or a person raising their eyes, all indicating that, hey, I don't believe what you're saying. Well, you're full of bull. And, um, and they, 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 they miss this communication. And so, therefore, in fact, they're unable to communicate uh, in adult fashion. These yeah.
0: these. well to, to be to be quite frank i think that's adults as well in this day and age you know social media and uh communicating through screens um in in short you know i mean twitter is a classic example right of you've got 280 characters uh, to communicate your thought and you don't see what mm-hmm. anyone else is actually the visual cues the facial expressions that's all lost mm-hmm. and not just that also the repercussions of what we might say Uh, You know, you can Mm -hmm. really hurt people with your words and we don't get to see that because we're were sitting on this side Mm -hmm. of the screen. Um, So second question before we wrap this up, um, final question, I should say, thoughts on um, Alzheimer's being labeled as type 3 diabetes. Uh, I know that's being sort of banded around. And I guess what I'm saying is that the impact of blood sugar um, on On brain function, because uh, something you talk about in the book is, is the whole leaky gut leaky brain, and I don't know if alcohol has anything to, uh, sorry if blood sugar has anything to do with that
2: It does great deal. Uh, I think that what occurs is that when the blood sugar goes high in the brain, uh, the brain then uses its enzymes that normally would be um, detoxing itself from other uh, toxic substances and our being, it is being used completely on um, uh, detoxing the alcohol. So what occurs is that then we have a lot of um, oxidants that remain in the brain that injure the brain and inflame the brain. And uh, what I talk about is inflammation is probably the most important factor. We don't realize that we are, uh, when uh, we're using our brain, which, by the way, uses up 25% of the total glucose in our body. So a uh, two to three pound uh, brain uses up 20 to 25% of all of uh, the sugar that we, uh, we input. So you can imagine how hard it's working and how hard and how important it is for us to keep our detox system at a high level when it comes to the brain. And, uh, and that, that is an important point that everybody has to try to realize and work on.
1: And what Vince did is is he gives the whole mechanism. And then in our book, we call it avoid spikes. And we give a take home message is, eat according to the rule of twos. Eat twice as often, eat half as much, and chew twice as long. And in other words, graze instead of gorge and avoid spikes.
0: Yeah. And that makes total sense. I mean, I think even from a nutrition standpoint, you know, balancing blood sugar is just such a foundational piece that a lot of people overlook, Um, you know, with unbalanced blood sugar, you open the door to inflammation, inflammation. Um, To weight gain and obesity, to diabetes, to metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, and the list just keeps going on and on. And I think for a lot of people, they forget that, you know, um, especially in a culture that is accustomed to drinking um, high sugar drinks, to eating high carbohydrate Mm -hmm. diets, lots of refined sugars. Um, you know, So, it, uh, not surprisingly, um, this is going to trickle down into brain health uh, as well. But uh, final question, actually, just since we're talking about it, <laughs> um, any, any research uh, from your guy's side on ketogenic diets with regards to brain health, high, the high-fat diet? Have you looked into that at all? Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, uh, there's no doubt that the ketogenic diet is very, very good. Uh, the difficulty is really staying on a good ketogenic diet. I think Bill could probably talk a little bit about, you know, what things you might want to eat uh, in order to uh, keep on a ketogenic diet.
1: Um, Yes. And uh, we, we, uh, I'm a firm believer in it uh, with one caveat that I think it should be done under medical supervision by someone who knows about ketogenic diets. Hmm. And to make, make it very easy for our listeners is as you get older, you need to eat a higher fat diet, but a smarter fat diet. Yeah. So eat smarter fats, eat more smarter fats, eat more smart proteins, and eat less carbs. So the natural, and there's a lot of studies behind that, so eating more fat, eating more protein, and eating less carbs, uh, and your brain will thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I 100% agree. I mean, I don't want to get into that in great detail because I've done other podcasts on uh, the, the keto diet itself. But I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, uh, just with regards to not necessarily being in ketosis for the rest of our lives, but just restricting the carbohydrates a little bit because, you know, the keto diet is very difficult to stick with. Um, I think the dropout rates are 91%. So you've got a very small percentage right. of people that can actually yeah, and stay Bill with it. It
1: often says, go yeah. nuts.
0: Yeah, says, <laughs> no,
1: go nuts! A, I go nuts! Go nuts is my favorite snack.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, I had a great discussion, and you know, to be honest, it's uh, very it's it's great for me to hear uh, doctors such as yourself talking so much about nutrition and about lifestyle and about our environment because, you know, this has just been such a core tenet of mine in my practice for so many years and, and everything that I'm doing. Uh, so it's just great to see the sort of marrying, if you will, of um, the real science kind of stuff together with uh, holistic medicine. So thanks so much for all the work you guys are doing.
2: Oh, you're welcome. And one other thing is that you know, make sure that you pray. Make mm-hmm. sure that you pray. It brings peace. Mm-hmm. um and it brings god into your life and uh, with that uh, i think that you have everything
0: awesome all right well thanks so much for coming on the show any final words for, from your side bill
1: uh one is uh one of the greatest gifts you can give your family is a gift of brain health for yourself and your loved ones
0: amazing all right well uh, thanks so much for coming on the show and for everyone uh, listening today thanks once again for tuning in and as always if you enjoyed the show uh, please subscribe leave us a review uh, share this with your friends your family your community and uh keep the show going and uh, help me to bring more awesome guests on the show so thanks for tuning in everyone and you have yourself a beautiful day wherever you are